0: If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. Vision.org.au slash app. Vision. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media.
1: There are good people. There are people that do good things, uh, you know, that are good neighbors and they're good citizens and they're kind and they're considerate. But niceness is not what gets us to heaven, of course.
0: It's become a cliche. Good people. Pastor Greg Laurie says we need to look beyond conventional wisdom to the truth of scripture.
1: Here's the bigger question. Are we good enough to get to heaven on our own merit? Now, the answer is a resounding no to that. This is the day when
0: Or sporting event and had tickets reserved for pickup at the ticket booth? You go to the window and say, uh, yes, I'm so-and-so, I believe you have tickets waiting for me. And then you cross your fingers that nothing went wrong and that your name is on the list and you'll get in. There are some people hoping their name is on the list for heaven. After all, they did good things, and that should be enough, right? Well, today on a new beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us see it all comes down to our relationship with God's only begotten Son. This is the day.
1: Turn to Romans chapter one. The title of my message is Everybody Needs Jesus. How many agree with that? Everybody needs Jesus, right? Okay, so let me start with a question. Are people basically good? What do you think? Well, I used to think when I was a kid that they were, but then I, my life experiences did not confirm that belief because, well, I just saw so many people doing bad things So I wondered about that, but actually you might be surprised to know that most Americans believe that people are basically good. In fact, Barna did a poll uh, in his book, What Americans Believe, and it revealed that 87% of non-Christians believe this statement, people are basically good. That shouldn't be too surprising, but what is somewhat surprising is 77% of self-described Christians think the same thing that mankind, people, are basically good. Now, let me say what I think is the correct response. Are people basically good? You might be surprised by what I'll tell you. The answer is yes and no. I mean, come on, there are good people. There are people that do good things, uh, you know, that are good neighbors, and they're good citizens, and they're kind, and they're considerate. In fact, to the point, I've met some non-believers that are nicer than some Christians, Would you agree with me on that? But niceness is not what gets us to heaven, of course. I mean, there are people that have done good things, that have made uh, great sacrifices, or done something heroic on behalf of others. So when we say that people are not good, we're not acknowledging there are not people that do good things and are relatively good people. But here's the bigger question, maybe the better way to frame it. Are we good enough to get to heaven on our own merit? Now the answer is a resounding no to that. Sure, the prostitute and the murderer fall short of God's standards, but so do you and I. I mean, some might be standing at the bottom of a mine. Others might be standing at the top of the Alps, but no one is really any closer to touching the stars. Some might be a little better, relatively speaking, than others, but they're not good enough to reach God's very high standards. And if we learn nothing else, from the first chapters of Romans, we will discover that we're all sinful. It's like Paul is systematically trying to show everybody falls short and that's why the gospel is so powerful because we all need it in our life. Don't forget that Paul is writing these words to believers living in Rome. Believers who were so strong in their faith that it was known around the world. And Rome was not an easy place to be a Christian in the first century. Uh, immorality was rampant. Roman cities like Corinth, where Paul actually wrote this epistle to the believers in Rome, had prostitutes openly walking the streets, leading people to pagan temples to offer their praise to these gods. Idolatry, spiritism, and demonism were openly practiced. And if anyone dared rebel against Rome, they would be executed or imprisoned and it was a hard place to be a Christian. The first century Christians were ridiculed and opposed and persecuted. Yet despite this fact, within 30 years, the original Christians and their converts changed Rome dramatically. Tertullian wrote around 200 AD these words about the believers and what they'd done in Rome. Quote. We have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palaces, the senate, the forum, and we have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods, end quote. The first century church, without unsheathing a sword, overcame the power of Rome because they outlived them, they outprayed them, and they outloved them. And so in time, the influence of the gospel went around the globe. And what was their secret? They were not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot be ashamed of it either. So let's read now a few verses together. Romans chapter one, I'm gonna start in verse 16. Paul writes these words. "'I'm not ashamed of the gospel, "'because it is the power of God "'that brings salvation to everyone who believes, First to the Jew, then to the Gentile.'" For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. All right, if you're taking notes, here's point number one. Salvation is not earned, but it's given to us as a gift from God. Again, salvation is not earned, but it is given to us as a gift from God. Look at verse 17. The just shall live by faith. This word just is speaking of your new position before God. I'm just or made right with God. I'm justified. I'll explain that more as we get deeper into Romans, but I'm in a right relationship with Him. I am a child of God now. I stand right before the Lord, not because of what I've done, but solely because of what He has done. Now, my objective as a Christian is to walk and to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Notice it does not say, the just shall live by feelings. Our feelings can really mislead us, right? I mean, you can have all kinds of emotional reactions to all kinds of things, and and you need to understand that the Christian life is a walk of faith. One of the best definitions of being a Christian is long obedience in the same direction. Just putting one foot in front of the other and walking with the Lord each and every day. Some days you feel it, some days you don't. I think sometimes you come to church and we want to have that breakthrough moment, right? In worship, I want the breakthrough moment. Two weeks ago, I got the shiver down the spine. Where was I sitting again? I gotta get in that seat again. Someone said that seat, get out of my seat. I need the shiver. I need the moment. I need the emotional touch. No, you don't. You just need to worship God if you feel like it or not. Because the just shall live by faith. I mean, I've been married now 44 years. And when I first met Kathy, we were, you know, I was nervous around her. I had sort of butterflies in my stomach. And that's because I'd eaten butterflies earlier. And they're very tasty, especially when you eat them live. No, I'm joking. But um, so, you know, I was a little nervous around her. Well, I don't feel that way when I'm around her now. If I went and saw her in the morning and said, Kathy, I'm, I'm feeling kind of nervous talking to you, she'd think Craig's having a heart attack or something, right? So <laughs> I cannot expect to have that emotional experience every moment of every day of our marriage. And in the same way in our relationship with God, the just shall live by faith. It's just walking with the Lord. I have a, an Apple Watch. This is not a commercial for Apple Watches, but I have one. And this watch gives me constant feedback Uh, sometimes I don't like it. It will vibrate sometimes. It tells me things. It'll say, walk. What what, do you mean walk? Stand. It tells me to stand. No, granted, I've been laying around for too long. In fact, it's telling me something right now. It just vibrated again. And, uh, and then it will say, breathe. Oh, thank you. I forgot to breathe. I'll, I'll remember to breathe. It tells me these things periodically. It tells me how many steps I've taken today. And it, it might point out that, you know, you have not reached your fitness goal. Uh, you need to walk more. And then sometimes it'll just come up with a message, you're a loser. Like, who programmed, who programmed this thing? It would almost be nice if we had enough for our watch that would say, pray, or read your Bible. Then if we didn't read our Bible, it's like, why didn't you read your Bible? And it's like, what's wrong with you? A little nag feature, I don't know. But the idea is that, you know, this gives me feedback telling me what I need to do. We, in the same way, need to just walk with God and live by faith.
0: It's great to have you with us today for A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie from Harvest Ministries in the U.S., Today, Pastor Greg is leading our study in Romans chapter 1 in a message titled, Everybody Needs Jesus, part 1. Let's continue.
1: Point number two, this salvation that God has given us is given because God loves us. It's given to us because God loves us, not because I merit it, not because I deserve it, but because God loves us loves me. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Some of you are thinking, excuse me, I don't see how that verse gives you that point. The wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. And your point is God loves us. Yes, that's right. Because we need to understand what love is when we talk of God. Let's think for a moment about the attributes of God. When we see attributes, things that describe God. For instance, God is omniscient, God is omnipotent, God is omnipresent. What does that mean? God is omniscient, it means he knows everything. God is omnipotent, it means he has unlimited power. God is omnipresent, that means that he's everywhere at the same time. We also know that God is loving, right? God is gracious, God is forgiving, God is kind. We would all agree with that. But the Bible also teaches that God is just, God is righteous, God is holy, and yes, God is wrathful, wrathful. Now when I hear the word wrath of God, I recoil. I don't like to think of God that way. I like to think of God as sort of a benevolent grandfather, somewhat senile, yeah. and oblivious to really what I'm doing and not really caring. Now, that is not the picture that the Bible gives of God as our Father in heaven. Know this, God is love, right? We all agree with that. But if God is love, and He is, that means that He hates as much as He perfectly loves. Does that make sense? Listen to this. A God of love must hate anything that harms those He loves. Quick poll. How many of you have children? Raise your hand. You have children. Okay. How many of you love your children? Raise your hand. Interesting. Not as many hands went up. No, they did. did. You love your children. So as an illustration, let's say you went on a camping trip and you're out there with your kids and they're playing somewhere and all of a sudden a grizzly bear is running full steam toward your children. Would you try to stop that grizzly bear? Let's say that you had a gun. Would you shoot the grizzly bear? Listen, I'd I'd shoot him with a bazooka, whatever it takes. I'd get physically in the way to slow him down at the very least. So the idea is you're gonna stop Anything that would harm your children. So when we say that God has wrath, we're simply pointing out that He is against anything that harms each of us. But when we say God has wrath, that's not like our wrath. Our wrath is ignited when someone cuts into our lane. And Californians, we are the most selfish drivers on earth, you know? It's like you want to change lanes, it's actually legally okay to change lanes. I don't know if some people know this. Especially when you put your turning signal on. Excuse me, I'm trying to change lanes. And in California that means speed up and close the gap. (laughs) Right? Don't let them in. Do not let them in. Even if it's an off-ramp. The only off-ramp on the freeway for the next 20 miles. And you don't even need to get off on the off-ramp. You're just in that lane. You cut them off. No. It's my little space. I mean, you know, so... This is the way we can be. We have wrath, something ticks us off. We get angry by something, that's not God. So let's not take the idea of wrath and apply that to God in that sense. God's wrath is settled. It's thought through. There's a reason for it. God doesn't go in temper tantrums. Can you imagine the Lord was having a temper tantrum, planets flying around, you know, God isn't that way. So don't take your idea of wrath and anger and apply it to God. His is different. His is a holy wrath. It's a righteous indignation. And you see it on display in the Old Testament, of course. For instance, God decided that he was going to judge the earth because of its wickedness in the days of Noah. So he told Noah to build an ark. And it took old Noah a long time to build that ark. And the people could have believed and no one did believe and he built and built and built and finally the ark was done. And then the ark just sat there for a full year with a door open for anyone that wanted to come in. So yes, the judgment came but God doesn't want to judge people. God says in Ezekiel 33, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn from your wickedness. You see, sometimes people think of God, I can't wait to judge the earth. No, that's the last thing he wants to do. That's why he gives warnings. As in the case of Nineveh, a wicked city. Horrible, horrible things the Ninevites did. God said, I'm gonna judge you. So he sent Jonah to preach. It took Jonah a little while to get there. Granted, but he got there eventually smelling a fish and um, (laughs) told the people 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Is that the most hopeful message you've ever heard? Actually, there's more hope in that message than you may realize. Because he could have just said, you're toast, bye. He said 40 days, which meant, you have 40 days to get it together. 40 days to repent. And what happened? The Ninevites repented. So God sent his judgment anyway, right? No, he did not. When they repented, God spared them. Why? God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. You say, well, that's the Old Testament God. He's angry and wrathful. I believe in the God of the New Testament. I I believe in Jesus because he never judged anyone. Oh, you clearly have not read the New Testament. Jesus had some harsh words for different people. And in fact, uh, right after Jesus gave his very familiar statement, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, And whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A few verses later, he says, he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So yes, God's wrath is in the Old and the New Testament. So it comes down to this. Before you can fully appreciate the good news of forgiveness, you need to understand the bad news. Bad news. God hates sin. More bad news, the wages of sin are death. Good news, God does not hate sinners. In fact, He loves them. Even more good news, God loved us so much He sent His Son to die on the cross and take that judgment upon Himself. So the bottom line is the only way to be forgiven of sin is through Jesus. Not through good works, not through clean living, not by religion or by rule keeping.
0: Pastor Greg Laurie with some great insights today from our study in Romans chapter 1. Be sure to join us next time for more from Pastor Greg's encouraging study called Everybody Needs Jesus, right here on A New Beginning. Today's message from Pastor Greg Laurie was called Everybody Needs Jesus, Part 1. If you'd like to listen again, just download the free Vision Christian Media app where it's available as a podcast, along with more inspiring Christian content. Just search your app store for Vision Christian Media. Station sponsor.